0: About a week and a half ago, a piece of cardboard from a pack of cigarettes from the early 1900s sold for seven figures. But how much did it sell for, and why in the world did it sell for so much? Well, the card, as we know it, the baseball card, was the Hannes Wagner card T206, which either had a broken plate and only made a few of them, Or to Wagner's objection, didn't want them being sold to cigarettes, which would have targeted kids, and he pulled it. We don't know the actual story, but as early as 1939, this card was deemed as valuable. A collector back then deemed this card to be worth $50. In 1985, it had jumped up to $25,000. In 1991, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, purchased this card for $451,000, and then it had jumped in 2012 all the way up to $1.2 million, but it sold in 2021 for $6.6 million for a piece of cardboard with a picture on the front. How could something so small become something so great? When we look at the life of Jesus, we see a life that was lived in an area that was mostly small. An insignificant corner of the world, and yet the kingdom he brought about through the church has had such a great impact on all the world. We have to ask the same question. How could something so small become something so great? Jesus did not start off in Jerusalem as Satan wanted him to do. If you remember when he was tempted, Satan wanted him to go to the pinnacle of the temple and to jump off and have the angels rescue him, which is what a TV preacher would have probably chosen, right? He would have chosen this spectacular, the Las Vegas entrance, if you will, or the Broadway entrance, And Jesus didn't, instead of going out and recruiting the best of the best, he went and got the leftovers instead of his first-round draft picks. He recruited fishermen and tax collectors who would have been looked over by the other rabbis that they wouldn't have even have wanted them. And rather than building a huge financial base or a base of power, Jesus starts healing children and older people in small towns. Not exactly an army of children and and, uh, the elderly that the Messiah was expected to build if they were going to overthrow Rome as they had hoped to do. But in the face of this odd start from Jesus, he tells us a parable that helps us to understand the slow but steady work of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So why does this matter to you? I suspect but a lot of you have been disappointed with the seemingly slow work of God in your life as well. There are things, people that could have gotten healed, but He has allowed them, or even you, to suffer. There are jobs that He could have provided, and yet He's called you to endure in the job where you're currently at. There are times where you have felt like You should be flying in joy, and yet it feels like you're able to barely walk in your faith. To those of us questioning why he doesn't do more, he gives us this teaching that we know as the parable of the mustard seed. I don't know if you've ever cooked with mustard seeds before. I have not. This is my first exposure with them, but they're not known as very big things. In fact, I've got a mustard seed right here, Where, there it is, all right, stop, stop, all right, there it is, seriously, all right, there it is, can you see it in the front row, can you see it down there, can you, my fingers are kind of wrapped around, there it goes again, forget it, all right. Up on the screen, we've got a picture of a mustard seed that somebody's holding in their hands way better than I can, apparently, uh, with a mustard, seed, a mustard tree in the background. There's some debate whether it's a tree or a bush. We're not going to have that debate this morning. We'll let the scholars debate that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is this is an extremely small and apparently a very difficult to handle seed. and this, But yet it grows into something that is quite significant. So here's what Jesus says when he starts off with this parable of the mustard seed. He says, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable can we use to describe it? Now, this is actually a setup from Isaiah, the 40th chapter, where Isaiah, in this passage that talks to a suffering people who are waiting the work of God, he starts off by saying, With whom will you compare God in Isaiah 14? What likeness will you set up in comparison with him? And he goes on to say, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youth may become faint and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. And we see that this is no accidental echo of this passage. But what Jesus is doing is He's pointing back to that passage, saying, do you see? Do you see the work of God? Do you see how slow it can be? Do you see that God is always faithful in spite of how slow it seems? Here's what He does in the parable. Verse 31 of Mark 4. He says, it's like a mustard seed that's sown. When sown upon the soil, it's the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. It'd be a real booger to plant if you're going to put those in your garden. I'm going to be honest with you. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. And both Ezekiel and Daniel talk about The idea of a mustard tree. like The kingdom of God growing up like a tree until those who can gather underneath of it. like, And that's the whole point. Trees take time. They start off very small. A small seed. And yet God grows them into something big. There's no such thing as instant oak trees. They don't work that way. Poison oak, on the other hand, that grows all too quick in this part of Ohio. So how does this tie into discipleship? We're in week three of four of our strategic plan that we're calling our Only God Can Flight Plan. And as we look at this, we've been talking about different aviators from Ohio's rich aviation history that will help demonstrate for us. Today we're going to take a look from the life of John Glenn and see some of these same principles that Jesus is talking about at work. Here's the number one principle I want you to walk away with today. That is this. Out of the smallest seeds come the greatest growth. Out of the smallest seeds come the greatest growth. Doesn't seem like anything profound. But the reality is is that in our culture we're all looking for the magic pill, aren't we? We're all looking for the magic pill that changes everything. We want that magic pill that will help us to lose 50 pounds without having to work it off. Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can I hear 75 out there? Yeah, 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 right? Yeah, we're all looking for that magic pill that will help us to get financially wealthy. That's why there's lines whenever, uh, whenever the mega millions or whatever it is gets up, Powerball, whatever it is, gets up to like, I'm acting like I don't know the names of these things. Whenever the line gets, whenever it gets up to like, uh, you know, $500 million, the lines way out the door for those things. Why? Because everybody wants it the easy way. We want it in marriages too, and that's why so many marriages swing back and forth between a semblance of health and dysfunction, because there's just the things that we need to put in place for them to be lastingly healthy, we refuse to do. The reality is is that there's no magic pill to make you become like Jesus. Oh sure, you get baptized, you surrender your life to Jesus, and those are big moments. But it's not like everything from there just snaps into place. You see, what, what, what if it, if there's not one big thing that you do? But what if there's a million little things that it takes to become like Jesus? What if it's every day of your life is just a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more? Because the reality is, is that God doesn't make it easy for us, because He knows if He made it easy for us, is that we, would, we wouldn't do it. He knows that if it made it easy for us, we wouldn't actually become like Jesus. we to just try to fix up the outside without actually changing the inside. And today's aviator is John Glenn. And growing up, I had a globe in my house that had three circles around it. I'm not talking about the equator and the tropics of Capricorn and Cancer. But the three circles I had, was my globe, globe was from when my dad was growing up, were the three orbits around the Earth that John Glenn made in 1962. I was always fascinated by that. A little boy from a town of about 1,800 people that was barely on the map managed to somehow make it on the globe. John Glenn was born and raised in New Concord, just outside of Zanesville, Ohio, after high school, he decided to enroll in the U.S. Marines, where he wound up flying 159 combat missions in both World War II and Korea. But one of the amazing things about John Glenn, from studying up on him over the past month or so and doing some extensive reading, what I found is that while he was an ambitious man, his ambition was to do always to be a servant. He always wanted to serve both his God and his country, uh, and his wife as well. He was a tremendous husband to his wife. He was a devoted Presbyterian man who understood the idea that he was not here to get his own, but he's here to serve his neighbors. So I want to share with you what I'll just call the John Glenn principle this morning. And that is this. Never stop growing. Never stop serving. Never stop growing. Never stop serving. I shared a few weeks ago about the demographics of our area around East Point. And how about around the country, there's about 37% of people would be classified as spiritual servants, people who grow through serving uh, primarily. But here, and you zoom in towards East Point, within a five-mile radius, that number drops from 37% to 18%. And when you drop to one-mile radius around the church, it goes from 18% to 1%, a-percent. And we talked about how that is such a that's a, that's that's a very bad sign for our area. It's one of those things that we recognize when we look at that that there's a servant discrepancy in our area. And that's reflected in our church as well, where it often feels like pulling teeth to get volunteers. And so, so when I was reading about John Glenn this week and this heart for service, it really just resonated with me that this is an area where we absolutely have to grow as a church. We have to be people who are committed to serving both our area, our community, and within our church. We must be people who say, hey, it is so important that we lay down our lives for others, that we serve others, that we will grow and become like Jesus, not just when we read the next book, but when we pick up the towel and drop to our knees and wash the feet of those around us just as Jesus did. We've got to turn that corner and become servants. That doesn't happen overnight, but it will be a major focus as we talk about discipleship. Discipleship isn't just about learning more. It's about serving more. That's what Jesus and John Glenn show us, if I can say such a thing. So how is it that we never stop growing and never stop serving? First, we need to be both persistent and patient. The reality is is you can't be in a hurry to become like Jesus. Did you hear me on that? You can't be in a hurry to become like Jesus. So much of becoming like Jesus requires us to slow down. And while you can't be in a hurry to be like Jesus, you must have urgency. There must be an urgency in your life that says, I need to become more like Jesus in this area of my life. There needs to be, I cannot wait another day to start becoming more like Jesus. I need to start serving today. The reality is, is John Glenn's life wasn't all glamorous. It wasn't all flying fighter planes and going on missions on space shuttles. He spent a lot of years in between wars and, and NASA, barely even flying at all, just pushing pens at a desk job. But those were also formative years in his life. And I think that so many of us are waiting for something to happen. We're waiting for the big event to happen in our lives. And the reality is, what if what it takes for you to become more like Jesus is for there to be some stillness and some Silence. What if it takes for you to become more like Jesus is for you to not do as many things as what you've been doing? What if to become more like Jesus, it takes hearing his voice and then going and serving someone in a way that's completely unexpected? It's not all glamorous. Be persistent, be patient. Secondly, keep on growing. Gotta recognize that our life isn't met at a time where we become a Christian and then from there on out we just hang on for dear life. The reality is, is when we become like when we become a Christian, that's just the starting point. If it's a race, that's just the green flag. That's just the first lap of the race, of a very long race. We are called to keep growing throughout our entire life. We never retire from growing as Christians. Isn't that a good thing? Well, I guess we do retire, but it's when they put dirt on your casket, all right? And then, and then you know, then, then, then it's up in God's hands from there on out. But John Glenn not only went on from being a fighter pilot to being an astronaut, but and being a test pilot in between... But he also went on to become a four-time U.S. Senator here in the state of Ohio. I didn't even know whether he was Democrat or Republican for the longest time because uh, he was always the guy uh, that tried to bring people together. He didn't rest on his five hours in space, but rather became involved in bringing change Rather than than taking positions of power, he would often take the more lowly appointments to lesser committees in the Senate and work to bring change in the areas that were overlooked because they weren't as popular or in the spotlight. Keep on growing. Don't quit growing. Because you start off as a baby in Christ. You start off as an infant. And the goal of every infant is what? To grow up. I mean, as much as, you know, we always say, like, oh, man, I just wish I could just keep him this size forever, that, that's just a lack of sleep talking, isn't it? <laughs> you know, like, as much as you want those little babies, what you really want is you want somebody else's little baby to hold for a while, right? And then to pass them off whenever they start screaming or whenever they, their diaper starts making those odd noises that diapers make or followed by those odd smells that they make, Correct? The reality is, is that the whole goal is to grow up to a fully functional adult, a fully functional human being. During John Glenn, once he got through orbiting the earth, he came back and addressed a joint session of Congress. And during Glenn's address to Congress following his orbit of the Earth, he told a story to emphasize that this journey that he'd been on was just the beginning of exploration, that they needed to do more than just orbit the Earth a few times, but that they needed to eventually go all the way to the moon and and continue their exploration. And so he recounted the anecdote about British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli looking at the electromagnetic experiments of Michael Faraday, not the guy on Lost, but the actual Michael Faraday, and asking... But of what possible use is it?" the Prime Minister said to Faraday. And Faraday responded by saying, "Mr. Prime Minister, what use is a baby?" See so what he was saying is that, that baby, it's beautiful and it's, it's a good thing, but like it hasn't grown up yet. Like that's when you will understand the full value or the full contribution of a human life. That's when it's understood, but it's precious now. So we need to keep growing. We need to be on a lifelong quest for growth. Never stop growing. Never stop learning. Never stop serving. One final thing here that I want to encourage you to do, and that is to do what you are afraid to do. Do what you are afraid to do. Now, if you're afraid of jumping off a bridge, I would say that's a good fear. That's a healthy fear. Don't go jump off a bridge, unless it's only like this tall and there's a bunch of water underneath of it. Then it's okay, right? But a lot of us have fears to do things spiritually. We have fears to share with someone who we know we need to share with. We have fears to take the next step in our faith. We have fears to come before God in prayer because we're afraid we'll be rejected even though we know that's not true we have all these fears that come up in our lives all the time and i'm telling you if we want to take to the next step of the next step of faith we have to face our fears we have to do what we are afraid to do before john glenn orbited the earth he was asked about the risk about the fears that go into it. he said we're working every day to make it as safe as we can But we are all well aware that there are risks and will be willing to take, or there will be right up to the time of launch. But if the stakes are high enough, you're willing to take those risks. And I just want to ask you today do you believe that the stakes are high enough in the life of your family, in the life of your neighborhood, in the life of our church to take those risks? Those things that you are afraid of doing, are the stakes high enough to see possible transformation in your life? To see your family differently when you start taking those risks as a family to grow in your faith. Are the stakes high enough to see your children walking with Christ into the next generation? Taking steps of faith that maybe you aren't even able to take because they've grown throughout their life because you invested in them. I believe that the risks, the stakes are plenty high for us to take those risks. So what's it look like here at East Point? Well, first, we want every believer at East Point to be able to describe how they walk with God, how they engage with Him through His Word and through prayer, and how they walk with one another while engaging the world. We don't want people just walking with God and not engaging the world at all. We don't want people just engaging the world without walking with God. Those don't work. But as we walk with God and one another and engage the world, that's where life change happens. That's where we start to make an impact in the greater world around us. And so a few of the other things that we want to do is we want to establish some pathways here at East Point. We want to help be able to get people from the front door to fully committed followers of Christ. We want to be able to help people who aren't even in the front doors yet to find those pathways into the communities. We talked about those last week with evangelism, but once they get here, how can we get them growing? How can we get them plugged in in a meaningful way? We're going to be talking a lot about that. We don't have that all laid out yet, and that's okay. This is going to take a while. And like we're talking about today, it's okay. The best things always take a while. Second, we want to see a prayer and fasting movement birthed here at East Point. We want to see our leaders uh, leading by example in that way, and that starts with me. And I don't like, I don't know if you can tell or not, I don't like the idea of fasting all that much. I like food. But I'm telling you, the more that we hunger, physically hunger for the kingdom of God, and see that put into place through prayer, man, the more that we'll see God move There's there's no great movement of God that starts with a committee, okay? Movements of God start with prayer. Now, if it's a committee about prayer, then maybe so. But the reality is, is we want to start and see God move through prayer. One of the things that you're going to see this year is that next week, actually next week when you show up, you're going to be handed a copy of a book called The Story. And over the next 31 weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, God's Word as it starts from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And we're going to be talking about the story of God and how it unfolds before us there. So the reality is, is we're going to start on, on September 10th. We'll get you the book next week. We'll have a schedule with it and everything else. But we want you to read it and we want you to talk about it as a family as well. We want you to talk about it with your friends that you attend here with. It's so important to recognize that if we don't know God's Word, how can we know God? And if we know God's Word, then we can know God and walk with Him. We're also going to be looking to recruit and onboard more small groups throughout it because we know people need to connect in community. And we also want to launch a stewardship campaign to help our church thrive financially So that we can not only get out of debt, but so that we can fully fund the mission that we have as a church. Man, God, I'm so excited about what God has for this area. God has placed us here in this area for a reason and for a purpose. And I believe that he's going to use you and I work through us to accomplish that purpose. It's going to take time. And you know what? The best things always do. The best things always do. As John Glenn was about to retire from the Senate at age 77, he wound up volunteering for a second trip into space, this time not on a rocket, but on the space shuttle, not for five hours, but for an entire week. He volunteered himself so that they could do research on aging in space, as they found many parallels between aging and the time that was spent in space. It was another opportunity for him to serve. But at one point, the man who was famous for noticing the fireflies in space for the first time upon his re-entry on uh, his first voyage, at one point in 1998, the 77-year-old man above the space shuttle was seen hovering near the window looking out as if he was just lost in thought. One of the other astronauts went to him and said, John, Mr. Glenn, what are you doing? To which Mr. Glenn stepped aside, and the man could see that they were above the Amazon rainforest at night, and there was a massive lightning storm going on beneath him, lighting up the whole sky in beauty and the power of God. And Mr. Glenn simply responded to him, I'm at church right now. And I thought, man, that, what a beautiful story of, of, of a man who had given himself fully to the work of God in so many different ways. Of fully to the, the, the work of serving his neighbor. To where every moment that comes up, we recognize we're We're at church. To when we hold the beauty of our grandchild. To when we're sharing our faith with a lost one. To when we're serving a homeless person in need. To where we're walking alongside and listening to a friend who needs a bit of encouragement. All those million things that add up to help us be like Jesus throughout the course of our lives. And we find that in some surreal moment, every one of those moments is like we're at church. Because that's what it means to be the church. is not just gathering on Sundays, but going and growing all week long. Church, may we be caught in the moment where we are at church, all week long. Father, we thank You that You have invited us on this journey to become more like You. Lord, that You don't want us merely to be saved from the pits of hell, but that You want us to help bring the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. We thank You for that role. We thank You for that responsibility. We thank You for that calling. Help us, Lord, to become more like you in every way. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.